0: You nope. oh, guys ready for some man? Yep, ready to talk about. Th- you guys ready for some mank? <laughs> ready to talk about a movie about a movie?
1: Yeah. Uh, the movie about a is movie Jack about Fincher a movie?
0: David Fincher's brother?
1: No, he's his father. His daddy. Oh.
0: It's his late father. Oh, yes. Oh, so he wrote this before he died? Mm hmm. Yeah. Oh, shit. It, what's Jack Fincher famous for? I, mean, I guess I could just click. Nothing. This was it. His father. Fall, fall, That's it. Late. So, so David Fincher was like, "Dad, I want you to write a screenplay about no. early film."
1: No, his dad wanted to do it, and he like did it independently.
0: So his dad was like, "I want to write a film about."
1: Let's save it for the podcast.
0: Okay, I guess I don't know. I don't. Wanna, <laughs> I but see, I don't want to because I asked this question specifically because I didn't want to seem like an idiot on the podcast because oh. I didn't know this. Okay. Because I didn't do my research.
1: Clearly. clearly. <laughs> that's that's Dude, that's to type. Eat
0: my asshole. <laughs>
1: no way, your asshole's a casserole. I'm like, not getting near that thing.
0: Don't fucking clearly. <laughs> Sorry, other shit's been on my well, mind. Well, you know, he...
1: I'm the one who does research. Alex does some.
2: Yeah
3: we'll have to go back to the Macbeth episode and hear Jeff going through his notes
0: I <sighs> yeah, love that, to, that. We, have to, true. we have to go back it's to true. the Macbeth episode and hear Jeff start these like elegant Shakespearean uh, points and have Jesse go uh-huh. like and then there's like hot dogs and then <laughs> <Hot> fucking, <cakes. laughs> and then like all of a sudden I have to go like yeah hot dogs and then like okay back to like the narrative of Shakespeare and then I had to like deal with that but okay okay <laughs> and
3: I'm just like yeah. hey do you think Marion Catilla would have been better casted if it was like army Hammer if
2: it was yeah. a man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, this is good they say you need to get fired up before you do content <laughs> so now i guess i'm fired up uh
1: it's contentiously content with his content i'm gonna tell
3: you who asked jack fincher to the sadie hawkins dance in sixth grade bitches that's how much research
1: i'm gonna <laughs> yeah <do>. <laughs> <laughs> got it yeah no um yeah it was his papa his pop pop wanted to write a thing and so he wrote a thing
0: i didn't just and then, yeah i guess his dad really was um, in love with film
1: yeah and then uh like fincher tried to get it made for like 20 years but nobody wanted to make it
0: interesting
3: it was supposed to be done in like 96 or 97 i think that was like the plan and it got shelved for a little and then his father also wrote like a biopic about howard hughes that eventually turned into the aviator
0: his dad was a big lover of early hollywood
3: yeah People forget about Howard Hughes being like a big filmmaker. Sometimes, you know, they just think of him as like the aviation pioneer and king. But that dude was like John Ford level of like, I need to make these movies that are just fucking humongous spectacles of like.
1: Yeah, but he only made like three of them. Exactly, because I it's think a, his he made a couple in like health... 1930, and then went in like 45 or something. Yeah, he was a weird guy. <sighs> yeah, he was a weird guy. Not that you could tell from the movie yeah
3: <laughs> you know <laughs> i carry bars of soap with me in my pocket all the time
1: and that's our lead-in folks welcome to the real weirdos podcast <laughs> episode number something eight ten we're in eight nine ten i think we're eight i don't know we just recorded david fincher verse we did the david fincher verse. i think that
0: was eight i think this is nine
1: I think that was nine. I think this is ten. No, if this is
0: ten, we gotta. It doesn't matter No, because if it's ten, it we need, it need to matter. celebrate. Oh,
1: Double really, digits. Ten d- Do you have like, some birthday cake, yeah. candles, and stuff? I mean, it's
0: stuff? ten episodes. I don't know. Yay! Let me
1: pull up. Let me pull up our Spotify. Let's figure this out. I like. Lo- I like that though. We've gone far enough to not know where we're at. Eight. Twelve Monkeys was eight. So that means this is 10. Oh, all right. Nice. Well, happy 10th episode, oh,
0: big milestone, friends. Oh. Yeah, oh, man.
1: So like, do you think we're going to get some gift bags? Is like Ben Affleck going to send us a fruit basket or
0: something? I mean, it, it won't be a fruit basket. It'll be a basket, <laughs> but you know what it'll be full of No, I don't. Well, I mean, you know, where where do we work? We work hmm. in the Emporium. What does the Emporium make?
1: Mm. The Emporium makes butt plugs Well that's what we're gonna get then We'll get a basket Nobody will understand this reference and that's okay <laughs> We'll get a basket of butt <laughs>
0: plugs from Daddy Benny Daddy Ben
2: I want the one Old he used Papa in ben. Hunting
0: Oh
1: uh, shit The what? Oh the one he used in Goodwill Hunting Yeah How will you know it's that one? That's the thing though Because
3: like... it has an extremely thick Southie accent
1: it just looks like Matt Damon's face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's Ben's favorite. <laughs> oh, did we did we make fun of Ben Affleck last episode too? I think a little I did, bit. I like dreaming. Ben Affleck. I just I don't know, for some reason he's funny. Yeah, he is. Ben, if you're listening, we're you're ready to have you on at any time. Come on. We'll 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 make fun of Armageddon with you. Exactly. <laughs> we'll talk yeah, about how Dunkin' Donuts We'll talk in. about
0: how Dunkin' Donuts doesn't make like the proper size or structured drink holding containers. Yeah. Yeah, can, we'll talk about that. And kinds how it can be stuff, difficult. Man. It can be difficult to pick up a lot of a large order of Dunkin' Donuts at one time. I I get it. <laughs>
1: Is this a reference to something?
0: Yes. It's it's a reference to a photograph where he's like the paparazzi took where he's like struggling to pick up a large order of Dunkin' Donuts from his doorstep, and it's like shit spilling, and he's like, Meh, and he's got a "To be fair,
1: <laughs> like fuck those people." And if someone followed me around with a camera all day, you get all kinds of embarrassing. Exactly, shit. Like, that That's guy can't get his keys into the door. <laughs>
0: I'm going to bat for him. I'm saying that, like, you know, sometimes okay. it's hard uh, to pick up a lot of Dunkin' Donuts at one time, and they're going and they to don't, bat for the Batman. They don't make. The drink container is structurally integral enough to hold four drinks, even though that's what they're supposed to hold. I'm sorry. I'm going on a tangent here. I digress.
3: I mean, I just love that we live in a world where Ben Affleck, like one of the biggest movie stars, is still getting sent out for like coffee. It was probably Michael Bay. It was like, you made fun of my fucking movie.
0: Go get me four fucking vanilla lattes. No, I think it was a DoorDash order to his house. I think Paparazzi were like camping outside (laughs) of his front door. Yeah, if I were oh, Ben Affleck, shit. I would not
1: show up in person in Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, I think he <laughs> <like>, seems <laughs> like a bad idea. It was
0: idea. like a DoorDash order that they like dropped off, and it was like, and he like couldn't get it through the door. But anyway,
1: so that <laughs> he's not working with
0: Michael Bay now. Anyway, so that's the intro he's directing to our, his own thing. That's intro to our tenth episode. <laughs> a wild tangent about Ben Affleck. Yeah,
1: baby so that, is mean, that's a celebration if I've ever heard one. That's on, on Brand. Tom Brand. I mean it would have been better if we threw Roland Emmerich in there somewhere.
0: <laughs>
1: Be like announce the announce the glorious plan to open our our own like re- amazing recording studio. We'll have like a pond and like a golden statue of Roland Emmerich over the <laughs> pond. With lesser directors like Scorsese and David Fincher kneeling in supplication <laughs> before their Lord and Savior. Uh,
0: Alex will release a list of his top ten female actresses that he can't stand. Yeah, yeah. it'll just be the nothing ones that, written on will it. be
1: the ones that you like, listener. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
3: just fill it in.
1: Which one? Yeah, I guess it would be like all the most popular ones, just so you could earn the most hatred. Kathy Bates, You're like Kate Maggie Blanchett, Smith. she's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, ah.
3: Meryl Streep, not even overrated. All that shit.
1: Carol Channing. Oh
0: man, I love how like low this conversation is. In what do you mean?
1: We're talking about Ben Affleck with a Matt Damon <laughs> butt plug. No, I love it. It's just so <laughs> low brow.
0: In lieu of the conversation that we're about to have about a very, I don't know, intelligent film i guess you would say Mm-hmm.
2: Uh-huh.
0: What, what what movie is that i forgot um that is uh barbie's dream castle and show ponies oh my
1: god is that a movie we could do
0: it <laughs> i mean i don't know i'm just
1: we talk for an hour Maybe it, both that, of them it's not a, a very cool it's just just not a very good it. <laughs> it's not a very good title for a film it's not it's it's awkward
0: it's clunky <laughs> it's clunky I, there was supposed to be a little there was a little supposed to be an ending to the show ponies thing but it kind of just petered out i'm sorry
1: <laughs> yeah, probably just like Barbie's Dream World Five.
0: The rise the rise of Ken. Goes to show just how um how clever I am. I just give up on jokes halfway through. <laughs> well
1: I mean we could do we could do a Barbie episode. Go through the Barbie verse. Isn't there oh dude, isn't there like a, a Barbie movie coming out starring um Harley Quinn? Only you would know that. And uh, just on IMDb a lot, and it tells me things. Oh, Bye. Yeah, Barbie. And I was like, failed. I'm excited. I have. Greta Gerwig
3: is slotted to direct. Anne Hathaway and Margot Robbie, I think, are the only two in the
0: that's cast it. at the moment. Robbie,
1: that's their name.
0: Pay attention, folks. What's, coming down the line. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> so, what, why do you hate Margot Robbie, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> Well, there are many things I could say,
3: <laughs> but it all kind of boils down to one thing, and it's just the fact that she's a woman. I'll just get really dry and cut <laughs> oh, with it. Geez. No subtlety
0: of that humor.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure about this joke,
0: guys. <laughs> I don't know if it'll land as well if uh, you we know, don't spice it up a bit.
3: Like I said, we'll have we'll have plenty of. Uh, time to go over the oh, Steel man. Magnolias and the ya yeah Sisterhood oh, movies at, a, at just, one point.
1: Just poisoning the audience. <laughs> so
3: Alex didn't show up today for this recording for some reason.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we don't know what he was saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just blank. Like, cut, they'll dub you over with just like a duck. <laughs> 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 oh, oh boy. man. That'd be a great idea if somebody's like audio doesn't work at some <laughs> point. We'll just dub you in with a duck. <laughs> that would be, that oh, would, be the yeah, least. Just hilarious. release it without saying <laughs> Nobody anything. Nobody
0: would listen to that. It'd be so annoying for an hour and fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, well, Alex. But it's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Oh man. We're talking about Mank.
2: Yeah, we're talking about Mank today.
0: Mank. It's a, a movie, movie that eluded
3: me.
1: Yeah, it eluded all of us somehow. Even though we like David Fincher, we like weirdo movies, which this is. Um, weirdo, not 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 in like a Holy Mountain kind of way, but more in like a a very niche audience kind of way. Mhm. Cuz it's like if you didn't if you don't if you're not familiar with a lot of things in that era like the around like 1940 both historically and in hollywood then a lot of what's cool about this movie might completely escape you
3: yeah it's definitely one of the movies we were talking about last time how he does so well at like taking that highbrow literature or like the highbrow aspect of his films and like really can capture the whole wide general audience because of how entertaining his films are too this movie might break away from that I don't know, guideline a little.
1: This movie's a, an interesting one like in terms of the Fincherverse. I think it's yeah. it's definitely an outlier. Yes. It's not it's not uh it's not dark especially. It's not um like there's, there's not a focus on the tension of the filmmaking. It's more about characters talking to each other. <sighs> yes. And and talking and like the exploration of this central figure of Herman Mankiewicz as he writes Citizen Kane. And um, so, yeah, I mean, let's just set it up. Herman Mank is an alcoholic Hollywood screenwriter who is contracted by Orson Welles to write the script for Citizen Kane with the caveat that he will not take screenwriting credit and that would instead go to Wells. Uh-huh. Um The movie is interesting as well because it's, it's like, super self-aware of its origins... It's entirely in black and white, although it is it is widescreen. It's not like four by three, which probably would have been too pretentious even for this movie. Um, yeah. although hilariously, it wasn't too pretentious for for Zack Snyder's latest four-hour Superman punching festival.
0: <laughs> you know that wasn't four by three. No, I didn't. I did not even see that movie. I think he like I
1: think he released a black and white version of it too because.
0: I don't know. That's very Zack Snyder. Jesus yeah, it's Christ. like it's
1: it's a level of pretense, a level of pretentiousness that is completely unwarranted by his level of skill.
0: Oof, you heard it <sighs> here, folks.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right.
0: Jesus. And I,
1: I actually kind of liked the four-hour Justice League movie. Um, I hated, I hated Man of Steel and uh, Batman v Superman, but. <laughs> The 4R1 was okay, but like to, to be 4x3 in black and white? No. No, come on, dude. <laughs> a <laughs> you're, superhero you're not movie making, in black and You're white. not making art here. That's disgusting. It's
0: disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, Mank is a very self-aware movie, definitely. It's also a movie that's just so in tune with what it's trying to say about this particular story. And that's really... Refreshing when you're looking at like this type of biopic. I guess you could say type movie. This this exaggerated nonfiction because it really looks into more of the characters who made Citizen Kane. Like Citizen Kane is mentioned as far as the story of the movie very infrequently. It's such a minute part of what this movie's about. It's more about old Hollywood the kind of the dying throes of these large studios and how they were trying to cling on to kind of an industry that was suffering from war and from recession and depression and etc and and, and politics and it's about kind of the influence of um, Hollywood in politics which I thought was interesting but as far as the way the movie is shot I mean it's still just so Zack Snyder. I mean, he's. it's just the atmosphere is brilliant. There's this... I know, it's so gorgeous. I know you want to talk about it. Uh,
1: wait, Alex. Wait. Who's going to tell him?
3: Yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't know if you were going to stop him. I know, I know, f- I know, no, I, know,
0: I, know no. I know, I know. I know what I did. Fincher. <laughs> yeah. All right, there you go. i right, you retaking that? <laughs> yeah.
1: This is the this is the uh, the the preeminent new Zack Snyder film after <laughs> yeah. uh, Army of the Sorry. Dead. that <laughs> terrible piece of crap. All right. But no, yeah, dude, all old Hollywood is presented here in all of its CD glory. You have the old Hollywood land sign. Everybody smokes. You get to see representations of legendary producers at the time, like Louis Mayer from MGM and david o selznick whose name is just burned forever in my brain from seeing like thousands of movies he's produced (laughs) if orson welles there for a few scenes you have good old charles dance as william randolph Hearst. brilliant Um, every every movie he
0: does and you have oh, Bill Charles Nye. Dances.
1: You have Bill Nye the science guy is up in yep. Sinclair. Which I yep. thought was weird.
0: so that was one of the biggest shocks of the movie. I mean, it's not a really shocking movie. So this that was such a that was such a jarring moment. I was like squinting at the screen like is that? Is it Bill Nye? Exactly,
3: right? <laughs> like, Cuz a... they shoot him from behind with like the light coming up front to his face while he's giving
0: that speech at the rally. But I mean, it works. I mean, he did a decent job and I mean, he's not in the movie for long enough to really notice matter so it doesn't much, really yeah. matter but i mean charles dance is hearst is just spot on Every the casting the casting is brilliant everyone who's a representation of a once famous person that's now gone is so perfect like mayor arliss howard looks like louis Bulaire, like really closely <laughs> like they did such a great job yeah. on the costume design and the makeup and the hair like it was just they really paid attention to what really was magical about old Hollywood. Everything from the sets, from the sounds. Like there's this reverb, this echo and reverb that's going on the entire movie. And it's so reminiscent of uh, being shot in an old Hollywood soundstage before they had like all the sound dampening. It's kind of like listening to me talk in this room that I'm in. It's very echoey and reverbed <laughs> and. And it sounds like a big studio set. And that's so, I don't know, thats just so sweet. It's so endearing to old Hollywood. Well,
1: yeah, um, Fincher wanted this movie to feel like it had just just been rediscovered and restored from, you know, early Hollywood era. That's why you have things like, and I wanted to ask you guys about this. Did you think having the cigarette burns was too much?
0: I think that there was too many of them to where they didn't make sense for where cigarette burns would actually be in a film. No, well, it
1: was they were there in the like when a scene was about the change. They were, a different but scene, then they would so. like do
0: them again and it, like before a scene was even over, and it was like okay, well, why would there be a change right there? And,
1: that does happen. That does happen. You know, it's, it seems like um, they
0: put them in in good places, and then sometimes it's a little gratuitous. That's my opinion.
1: It can be, but yeah, to I just want to get get through the plot here real quick so mank shuts himself away to write the script and drink whiskey not necessarily in that order (laughs) and the film flits between this quote-unquote present time and a variety of flashbacks spanning some of hollywood's golden age and it's it's sort of this way that the mank the film not the character shadows citizen kane which is kind of similar in structure because Citizen Kane also flits between past and present in a way that was pretty new to cinema at the time. Uh, Mank also has some nice visual nods to Citizen Kane, like the the famous snow globe shot. But because <laughs> it's fucking Mank, he drops a bottle of whiskey instead,
2: <laughs> which I thought was
1: great. <laughs> so basically, the the flashbacks show Mank as a like a speak your mind witty booze hound hollywood writer who ends up befriending william randolph hearst and my notes say his daughter but it's not i looked it up after we were talking yesterday jeff it is his his like lady friend
0: that's what i thought that's what
1: played by amanda Seafried. yeah she calls him papa it, she calls him pops and i'm like oh. oh it's her dad i didn't know they were banging Um, so I, I missed out on that the first go through. Well, because I I
0: caught it because he says later in the movie that Rosebud was Hearst's nickname for Marion's genitalia. And I was like, oh, Marion is his lover then. That makes more sense. Because why would you have Um, a nickname for your daughter's genitalia unless they were trying to paint a very different image of William Randolph Hearst?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I didn't know if that was like a joke or what. I do remember that. But um yeah and Amanda Seyfried is great. I I think I was looking through her filmography and I'd only ever seen her in like Les Misérables and this this miserable lazy unfunny fucking comedy called A Million Ways to Die in the West by oh. by the guy who does Family Guy. I
3: believe she was in Twin Peaks.
1: Amanda Seyfried?
3: In The Return. Oh. The most recent one, yeah.
1: I haven't gotten to that yet, so I couldn't say. I really need to. Yeah, but she's great. she's
0: great. She's a great singer. Like, she, she was good in Mamma Mia. She was good in Les Mis. Like, she's definitely, you know, good at what she does. I've always found her to fall a little flat in, like, the rom-coms or, like, Mean Girls or other stuff she was in when she was young. I don't watch those movies. Exactly. But uh, But, yeah, she does a great job in this movie. She really, really kills it.
1: Yeah, so Mank eventually poisons that whole relationship yada yada stuff happens eventually he decides he wants credit for the screenplay because it's just the best thing he's ever written and that's kind of the ending of the movie orson welles is furious Uh but the two the two do win the best screenplay oscar and never speak again and then mank wrote a few more screenplays and died 10 years later from alcoholism um
3: oh really that's a surprise
1: Oh, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Uh, his liver
3: was probably like a souffle by the end of his life, too.
1: <laughs> oh, my lord. And the film, one more note is that uh, it was written by Fincher's father, Jack Fincher, who died in 2003. And this is his one and only credit in the film world.
0: Yeah, it's kind of sad. So. It's a It's a beautiful movie that's really well told and well written. And it's a nice tribute to a father... For Fincher to do that and and really realize it and put that work and that effort into it. Because it's a story that... It, it's a true story. It's a story that exists. and yeah. But it's just the details is what's never really been known. And this kind of embellishes and creates details and uses facts and stretches the truth. But in the end, this is a story that was interesting to people. And I don't know, it's just to do it that kind of service as a son is just kind of sweet and and it adds a nice little bow on the end of an already really, really great movie.
1: So I'm getting the sense that Jeff (coughs) really likes this movie.
0: Oh, I I mean, I love old Hollywood. I love just this era, these actors. I'm a huge Gary Oldman fan. Like this is just checking all the boxes. I'm a huge Charles Dance fan. Like, yeah, this is a big one for me.
3: The guy who played Orson Welles was great. I thought his voice was so spot yeah, on. He nailed at
0: Orson's voice.
1: His <laughs> voice was perfect. Yeah, Alex, did yeah. <laughs> you like Mank? What did you feel about Mank? Give us your broad strokes.
3: I I did like it. I thought that for anyone else that wasn't like so into film and movies like we are, it could seem a little boring. Um. But I I love slow burns. I love movies that are extremely slow, and almost to the point now where I I like look for movies that overindulge in that slowness because people it seems like general movie going audiences now like they need that attention span catered every like ten seconds in every movie, right? Um, so I loved the way that this movie was like written, um, the way that it was shot. I thought was so cool because there were some scenes where I was like. I feel like I've seen this in Sunset Boulevard or like the way that the framing is going on. I'm like, I've seen these in old movies before. Yeah. So he definitely did a good job. in like, I don't know if David Fincher needed to do his homework before he did this movie being a filmmaker, you know, but he did really well to capture like that essence. Um, they did compress the sound to make it seem like it was in like an old Hollywood theater or like uh, this one thing I read was uh, it said, he wanted it to sound like a uh, tape that had been found in like the ucla archives or like a real you know
1: yeah the the sound mixing was totally analog to promote yeah. the feeling of authenticity he said he wanted to, to make it feel like a newly restored classic in every way which is why he added the cigarette burns um atticus ross and trent reznor who do the soundtrack as we noted last time they do a lot of his soundtracks it's very not very much not a nine-inch nails sounds soundtrack. Yeah. There's no drone, because the they just wanted, uh, or sorry, Fincher wanted them to use nothing that was beyond the period of the movie. So they used all just like old instrumentation. Mm-hmm. And
3: yeah, for some reason I think of that movie, The Artist, that came out a few years ago, um, the silent one. You know?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a movie everyone was like losing their mind over and then forgot about as soon as it won the oscar
3: exactly so i'll have to say i think this movie does actually much better job of like capturing like it's not like a novelty thing like oh we're gonna make a movie in black and white like the artist was an okay movie but it like seemed like so much of the laurels rested on it's silent it's black and white look how look how cool this is whereas this movie was like i'm gonna tell you a story that is relatively entertaining for popular times again with a new seem to be third red scare we're having right now in this country anything is communism left or right and I just thought that it did so much better than the artists and it like wasn't a gimmicky novel or anything like that
1: well it's this is a movie that's about a person it's about it's about a lot of things right it's about the writing of Citizen Kane, but that's pretty, it's, it's down down there. Yeah. It's about old Hollywood and also just like William Randolph first and politics at the time. And so those take up a, a good deal of the conversation, which this is a conversation movie. It's a movie that's fully on like the, the shoulders of the actors a lot of the time. <laughs> There's no like slow burn David David Fincher shots where like someone's creeping up or something. It's it's just talking. <laughs> it's Gary Oldman yeah. being drunk a lot. Mm-hmm. And like really the movie is about Mank. It's about it's about a guy who has an incredible talent and wit and zero filter for what he says, who drinks a lot and has complete contempt for the world in which he lives which is which is amazing. <laughs> I like
0: that a lot. More specifically the industry that he's a part of. The industry indeed, yeah.
1: And him finally saying like you know, this is the best thing I've done and I'm going to take a stand this one time and get credit for it. But but really it's about it's just about Mank. It's about the portrait of this this guy. And oh my god, Gary Oldman is amazing. He He is so good.
0: He just beautifully illustrates this kind of, he has that swollen nose and that, that kind of like not rosy face because it's black and white, but you can see like the blemishes. You can see the telltale signs of alcoholism on him and he acts them so Mm -hmm. well. He acts like such a, like a somebody who's has been drinking for so long in a professional industry would act like he's still able to carry himself for the most part beyond one particular scene for the most part he's able to carry himself he's able to conversate but he he always seems it's pretty half in the bag at the most point but there's just so much to this movie as far as like shot composition that's brilliant that i wanted to just touch on for one second is we were talking about black and white and Black and white is not something that's easy. It's not something that you just flip on your camera and you're like, okay, now it's black and white and there's no color and I don't have to like worry about the color. It's so, I would say it's even more difficult or at least as difficult as far as like balancing light. You have very few highlights to play with. So you're just, it's all about your whites and your contrast and how bright your lighting is. And my goodness, does this movie do that? So brilliantly, it balances lighting with the black and white contrast beautifully. And as a photographer, it just kind of tickled me there. So I, I wanted to take mention of that. But yes, Gary Oldman, the cast, is definitely just perfect for this movie.
3: I loved the Victorville scenes for some reason the scenes where he's like lying in bed and like he has the little nightcaps and the little case
0: drink.
1: They're like it's and... a dry house, and he yeah. grabs the thing and tries to
0: lift himself out. Yeah, I was a little confused no. about that. If you guys wanted to know, so what it was supposed to be in the bottles before he replaced it with alcohol
1: is all.
0: So that's just like a it's a sedative.
1: It's like a barbiturate. Yeah, yeah. So it was because yeah, they
0: wanted not... him to sleep. Oh, okay, okay. They wanted him to sleep because he was injured. Yeah, or because he was going to have alcohol withdrawals. Probably I think it's because
3: he was mank too. Right. They knew like the type of person he was, and they were like, "We need you fresh, and like we need you to wake up every day without the stupor of like five bottles of whiskey coursing through your veins." And then so. yeah, and they replaced it all with booze.
0: All right, that makes yes, because <laughs> uh, I was like, "What is going on here?" Because um, he, they kept showing him drinking the bottles as if it was like this intense thing. I thought it was like some kind of rationed alcohol that he was getting anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, see, I was a little ignorant to quite a few things in this movie
1: yeah gary oldman is is so incredible in this and it's like you can you can look at a lot of movies right and you can look at characters that are played in a lot of movies and they they feel like stock characters even if they're done well you know but there's like yeah nobody in the history of cinema has ever been mank you know and and so 110 percent mank it's just like it's so brilliant not just when he's drunk but at all times um, it's just a it's it's I mean it's Gary Oldman. <laughs> I don't know. Gary Oldman in a good movie playing a good character.
0: It's true. It's he's very much 100% mank the whole time. He it's almost as if he knew mank personally. Like there's just these little <laughs> touches to the character that are so personal, so unique to somebody and and really everybody like I really love, um, like I, her name is uh, Tuppence Middleton, who played Sarah. Oh, or Sarah. yes. She just like killed this role of, of this wife who has accepted who her husband is as a person in an awesome but, way. yeah, I in a very like, like like supportive way. And then the um, the assistant to make a, played by Lily Collins, I believe, uh, Rita Alexander. She it's just so great at this kind of taking charge, like this character progression of like this, oh, I'm a little sister. And then it takes charge by the end where she's almost like uh, uh, a peer to make is just really, really well done.
1: Tuppence Middleton sounds like an old British lady who would sick the dogs on you.
0: Yeah. It's a very old British (laughs) name. Such a name. Tuppence.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> tuppence middleton sorry tuppence if you're listening <laughs>
0: yeah I mean, if you're a big real weirdos fan i'm sorry to crush you there right.
3: old british empire like
0: yeah it's a vibes it's name um yeah but this movie is just just so brilliant as far as the atmosphere it tries to is tries to create it's such a perfect homage and everyone in it you can tell is invested and cares and it's trying to tell the story as best as possible. I mean, I mean, we can talk about the dinner scene, which in my opinion is the, the climax of the movie. It's the,
1: yeah, it's the, it is definitely. Yeah. Um, before that though, it's, it's interesting. I wanted to see this again. I wanted, I felt like I needed to rewatch it. I didn't end up doing that because I just ended up doing things those days. Um, because, I didn't love this movie. I I think I respected it more than I loved it, but I felt like if I watched it again that would change. Um because as I noted on the 12 Monkeys episode when I decided we were going to watch this, this felt like a movie that was made just for me with like like the fact that I've been watching so much old Hollywood stuff, the fact that it's David Fincher the fact that it has to do with a writer and an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> spoilers for my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and it's like... And I, and I, of course I enjoyed all the elements going on in it. Especially like nerding out over seeing like David O. Selznick and stuff like that. Um, and, and just seeing Gary Oldman act. Seeing everyone act. But... I think there were moments when my mind just started to wander when they were sitting and talking about like politics of the time. And it's just like, boom, 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 back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it's like they're talking about something that doesn't it's not like it's not centered around what Mank is doing or what anyone is doing. It's just like, let's talk about what's happening in the world. And I'm like yeah. cool. And then my brain wandered, you know? And that happened several times. And mm-hmm. I like I would have been more interested in seeing more behind the scenes of actual Hollywood than Mank just talking to people about like what's going on at the time, like Upton Sinclair and stuff. Granted, I understand why that's all in the movie, of course. Because it, it has to frame the whole situation uh, like culturally and politically vis-a-vis um, William Randolph Hearst and Upton Sinclair and all that. Because it's, it's a movie that's about many things, but that's one of them. I don't know quite where I'm going here except to say that the movie lost me at certain points. Not totally, but it, like I would say that I really, really liked it and I wanted to watch it Again, but I didn't love it and it might have been I don't know it's definitely not my favorite Fincher film which is a conversation we could have as well
3: mm-hmm. I had a question actually for you guys watching this I was wondering when we were talking last time about you know it seems like you you can split up any director into kind of like sections or periods you know when people talk about Picasso like he had this his blue period and his like that might be the only period I know but It's like he had these moments where it was like, oh, you could tell Picasso was sad when he was doing this stuff. But I was going to ask you guys, like, do you see this as a breakaway from Gone Girl and the girl with the dragon tattoo social network kind of thing? Like, I would put Zodiac, I feel like, and up to Gone Girl as like a section, almost, of Fincher's career. Mm. And I was going to ask you guys, do you think this is now like a departure into a new kind of chapter for him? Mm. Or do you think it's... Just down the line part of his like wheelhouse,
0: I would like to answer that if if I may I no, okay,
1: <laughs> go ahead <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: um so no i i I don't think that this is a new direction. I think that this movie is many things, but it's not David Fincher doing what he does. it's not his style, it's not supposed to be it's not anything that was meant to be oh, this is my vision. This was, to me, now with the context of the, the screenplay and how long it would took to get it made and kind of the challenges and his father writing it, I think this was just a gift to David Fincher giving a gift to himself and his father and his family and, you know, to us in a degree where mm-hmm. who people who love old Hollywood would appreciate. But this is no in no way, like... David Fincher going like oh i'm going to do a an intense gritty look if David Fincher approached this subject matter in his lens it would be much different it would be much more intense make would be much grislier and it would be much more there's no there's no depth into human pathology here this is simply about the time period what's going on and why hollywood is so attractive at that time the glitz the glamour the hello darling like you know the whole kind of uh-huh. <laughs> intensity of that and and amanda Seafried plays that up really well that kind of that that almost generic female actress person
1: yeah i think I, I think i agree with jeff mostly here i think it's um it's telling that this is something he's been trying to get done for 20 years he was originally slated to have Kevin Spacey star in it and and Jodie Foster, I believe. Um but the studios were like, "No, we're not going to make this like weird movie in black and white that nobody's going <laughs> to see." And you know, fair enough, they're probably right, which is why like Netflix is the perfect venue for this. I believe that Fincher now has a like a 5 year deal with them or something, 3 3 year deal, 3 picture deal, oh. I don't know. He's going to be making okay. some Netflix stuff. Yeah, cool. Which is cool cuz he can do whatever the fuck he wants. And that's yeah. that's the reason to do it. It's like uh, he's he's stated as much. He's like, you know, they'll just let me do whatever <laughs> as long as I, you yeah. know, bring whatever niche audience I have to Netflix.
3: Yeah, I think that's a like Jeff's point about it being kind of like a personal thing, its this would be a good like time period or contract with Netflix to kind of do those things where it's kind of like, this isn't for your kicks, right? It's for mine. Like, I, I don't know. Like, it's hard with art, right? Because you can say, oh, it only matters like what the artist wanted to say. But when you're putting art, like into some type of legitimate bona fide industry and trying to like make money from it you can't just fall back on the art for art's sake thing you know yeah but i think someone like david fincher would like his good repertoire of films like i think after a little while you can do that you can be kind of like you know i'm gonna take all this fame energy money that i've accrued over my career and I'm going to try and make something that makes me feel good. And I'm going to enjoy like this process of making it. I, I feel like Tarantino is probably the best example of a director like that, who just from the beginning was like, I'm going to do what I like to do, right? But Fincher is such a master of making movies that are like good for a small audience and then also making movies that are entertaining for everyone, that this one just had all of that energy of being like auteur cinema for the auteur almost himself instead of an audience.
1: Yeah, this is not a broad movie. Yeah. <laughs> it will not work on a broad a broad spectrum of of movie watchers, well, I don't think. That's why it's perfect for I mean, Netflix. It's not Yeah, it's not insanely niche, like a lot of people can enjoy this. But it's not like it's not like Zodiac or Seven or something, you know. It's definitely not Benjamin Button.
3: Yeah, uh, <laughs> definitely. I mean, there's a l- They're not going to be playing it at movies in the park night, right?
0: Well, yeah, it just requires a lot of knowledge of old Hollywood. It requires, like... It, it's one of those movies that's... It, it's The better it is, is dependent on your your eye for old film. Like, for example, there's a great scene um, when they're... Um, when Mank's brother, Joe, I believe his name is, is um, visiting him in the um, in Victorville. And it's like... Mank is sitting on the porch and Joe's sit, uh, standing across from him kind of in the on the road in front of the house. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that that was supposed to be a nod to Grapes of Wrath because that was the exact same set as when they're sitting in the cabin and learning that like there's no prospects out in California. Get, the same set? Like I don't know if it's the exact, same exact like, set, but it's definitely supposed to be like looks. supposed to look like the same set. I believe a lot of Grapes of Wrath was shot in Victorville. And to give that kind of Dust bowl desert kind of effect.
1: It definitely and, has that.
0: And so um that just kind of stood out to me. There was a lot of Grapes of Wrath nods. There was a lot of just old film nods in this movie. And and I think that kind of enhances and... and punches it up for for people who like movies and so it's perfect for netflix because it brings in that little niche it lets him do this movie he's been trying to get made forever i mean it just seems like a kind of a perfect situation perfect storm of uh, circumstances type of movie
1: so like yeah. what Oh, what
0: what heck
3: sorry i was gonna say there's another scene like that actually um when um I think Louis B. Mayer is speaking to his like employees and he's talking about how he's going to cut their salary, you know. Oh yeah. Because of, like all the things he needs. And there are characters in the crowd who stand up who are obviously like callbacks to old movies. So there's a woman who stands up in a black dress and a fur along her shoulder and it's just straight up Norma Desmond from Sunset Boulevard.
1: Oh, nice. <laughs> I missed that. I love that. We'll talk about Sunset Boulevard a little bit later.
3: But, yeah, that's the one that really stood out to me, too. When I realized that the movie was like, I was like, oh, okay. I know this is a movie about movies, but it's all, also like a love letter, you know,
1: to, to uh, these Ah, Jeff's movies. favorite, favorite I was hoping <laughs> attribution.
0: Whole, I was hoping to go the whole it's episode a, without saying It's a love letter. That. A love <laughs> letter to <laughs> cinema.
1: A love letter to the movies. You Dear movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, need, I think I need to say it in more accents, Jeff. <laughs> it's a love letter. To <laughs> oh cinema. my god.
0: Fuck you.
3: The French one, yeah, exactly. That'll really it, get like that. Thirty percent
1: French. Yeah. Seventy <laughs> percent bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So the, uh, like I was this is I was wondering like what was the most intro like what was this movie about for you? Because there's a lot of things this movie could be said to be about. Like, if you were going to distill it for you, what would your answer be?
0: Probably old Hollywood's influence on the greater world around it. Hmm. Do you be... mean
1: how... Oh, sorry, Alex. Jeff, no, do go you ahead. mean how, like... Yeah, elaborate. Like, because there's a big part of it there that's them... Like, the the studio makes these fake movies in order to promote uh, their guy politically.
0: Yes. That's, Is that what you mean? I mean, in more ways than just that, that's definitely the bigger overtone, but there's definitely just an, a showing of like just the influence of Hollywood in general, how it influences people to do things that they may not have normally done, like the guy who directed the fake films or the actors who are out of work who decided to work in those fake films just because they needed money. So like the influence it has around it where Hollywood can kind of make or break or or kill, or or help people survive, like it's this huge, powerful monster, and then as far as, yes, politically as well, there's huge political implications of how Hollywood manipulates people through media, and through, uh, you know, like this, like fake advertising, there's a lot of tones of fake news here, they're definitely touching on a lot of things that are very relevant now, and trying to not turn a spotlight on it in a very, <clears throat> in a in a way that's, overblown in a more way that's just highlighting enough just political undertones about like homelessness socialism hollywood influence in politics fake news all of that's touched on just enough to where you're like oh i see it and then it's just they go on with the story
1: so you're saying it's a love letter to the era
0: no no i'm not saying that i'm saying it's a it's an That's infatuation document to the, to the, to the
2: <laughs>
1: genre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alex, what's Mank about?
2: Yeah,
3: see, I see it almost as like the reversal. Rather, the events of the world are influencing Hollywood, but I see it more as an individual story of this man who is an artist who, like, creates and is good at it and is kind of, like, he's kind of at this point where he's like, you know what, I'm fucking done with you guys. I'm done with this industry, and I've seen, like, the the underbelly of this giant beast, and I know who runs this shit. And it's just, you know, that scene, the dinner party scene, he's really just kind of, like, fed up. And I feel like his triumph his, at the end is claiming credit for it. That's, like, his big thing, you know? He's like, no, none of you can have this fucking shit. I wrote this. You guys are all like scummy people. And yeah, I don't know. I see it as kind of like the the changing morality in a man or one who finds the, the disgusting morality lacking in his, the industry that he is in.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, Mank is a character that is so, I don't know, like he, he can tap into a certain thread in my heart that I, I really resonate and have empathy with which is this this writer miserable bastard just, yeah miserable bastard <laughs> <laughs> just yeah miserable writer um, just somebody who feels like they're washed up he even says like I'm washed up and like really wants just one thing that he can truly say he created and, and is proud of and this this uh-huh. just idea of like a writer who who's really meant to write books is writing a movie, which I love. Those little scenes for writers, like when the um, I forget the guy's name. Oh my god, the uh, the caretaker, houseman, houseman, yeah, who um keeps checking on him co- constantly. He's talking about how like the play is too long and it's too much exposition and there's too much detail and it's not a book, <laughs> it's a movie. Just like get on with it. <laughs> And I, I just love that kind of stuff because that's a huge problem I have when I'm writing. It's like, oh, I'm getting too detailed. I'm getting too into it. Like instead, I'm, I'm focusing too much on not saying enough. And uh, I don't know. Those little scenes were just so sweet and and perfect for a movie like this that has a special appeal for for certain people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would say that this movie is about the parable of the organ grinder's monkey and mank just banging away being the little organ grinder's monkey and then for one brief shining moment to to go back to you guys walk into the feast and say fuck all of you yep say accept your oscar you know and say I will accept this oscar for best screenplay in the way that it was written without orson (laughs) wells
3: yeah no that's um yeah yeah, to be
1: a slave in the machine you know and and to recognize it and poke fun at it with your existence Um, but still not be able to break out of it really i mean it's just uh it's a really sweet sad story of a really interesting dude
3: yeah, it's like the he, he the monkey rebels, right? The monkey is finally just like okay. Like we're going to do this this way now. And it's his last like I don't know, there's something to be said that it happens towards like the end of his life cuz it's like were you just happily an organ grinder's monkey for, throughout your career, you know, and now you've like come to terms with that maybe, or you've like come to realize it and you're just like ah, I can't do this anymore
1: yeah I don't know Mank like the real mank was probably twenty years younger than he was portrayed by Gary Oldman in the film uh, ah, okay. as you can see by his wife like the the wife's age is probably more accurate than Mank's was that
3: makes
0: sense then okay yeah this
1: I was gonna say something
0: else yeah I go was ahead too Jeff. actually, but um, no, you go ahead jesse i I kind of no I forgot oh me That's too oh geez. nice. Damn it, So uh, old men. Uh, old too man. much aluminum old in our food. doing a podcast. Too much
1: plastic. <laughs> no, you, you should continue that song. Can, <laughs> That's I, so can that I do you an accompaniment? You can remember. Old men doing a podcast.
0: <sighs> That'll be our intro music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, Just that. that, Just that not, in the background. Not someone
1: else who can like do the instrumentation or anything. Just doing with our mouth. Just boop, boop. if acapella we do it intro. we could do an acapella intro that'd be sweet <laughs> it might be terrible but you know that'll probably this be terrible. all over it's a combination <laughs> of sweet and terrible hopefully getting better oh
0: boy yeah i mean it's it's it i mean this movie is what it is it's straightforward it has no illusions it has no deeper meanings besides just telling a story about a man who wrote something that is widely considered to be the best of its kind it's the movie there is no right. movie beyond citizen kane still to this day yeah and that uh,
1: my brain just flashed so many comedy answers but i, I declined <laughs> thanks for. i defund. still interrupted you Appreciate it. <laughs> i just just not to say anything funny i yeah, guess that's, that, great i'm yeah. glad we
0: used that time effectively thumbs up uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that was my thought what was your thought my thought is that this movie is just what it is it, it serves its purpose beautifully yeah. it's crafted beautifully it's made beautifully there's no real deeper meanings or subtext beyond what it's just trying to say and you know i don't
1: know i don't know about that the whole parable of the organ grinder's monkey can be like uh, i don't know uh, stretched out to a lot but that's going on there besides man but
0: it doesn't take any dig digging or diving or long exposition to figure that out that i mean right the movie charles the dance not literally two- says that at he he, he tells you the yeah. analogy as he's walking mank out of the the party after he's like puking all over the place you know it's it right. all <laughs> the themes in this movie are very much on the surface and that's not a bad thing that's beautiful because if, if you're going to make a movie about the intricate history of old Hollywood for film buffs if, you got to make all the themes presentable, easily digestible and just able to be watched as a as a normal Netflix movie and that is what this movie does. And that's kind of why I like it, cause it's simple. It's not. It doesn't require me sitting there like, okay, so what are they trying to say about? It's this? not tenet, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's why, or even Twelve Monkeys, where Twelve Monkeys had a little bit more of like subtext and things it was trying to say that took a little more digging. It's like, no, this movie is just boom.
1: I had I had to do some pausing and some light research just to understand some things they were talking about. And it's it's a very it's you're right it's not an obtuse movie you're not going to be like well what does this mean but it is it is a very busy movie like the motor mouths are flying miles a minute
0: yeah but that's how I talk anyway so it's also you're just just, you've been listening and also I love listening to
1: yourself on the podcast so you're like (laughs) ready to listen to somebody talk a million miles
0: an yeah, hour pretty much and then like i don't know i love the history of that time period like i love like the you know world war ii depression kind of era i really enjoy that i like it's like mm-hmm. early world war ii so they're kind of like writing hitler off which was an interesting little touch that they put into it oh yeah um, that's right it's just the i like that tone i really like the video game la noir which is takes place in kind of the same time period i think a little later actually and so that's a very... Check
1: in the boxes. Jeff Jeff references a video game. Check in the box. <laughs> yep.
0: Every episode, that's going to happen. So, I mean, for me, it's just, I really was able to like, keep up. I was like, okay, I know who you know Upton Sinclair is. I knew who all these people are. I was just right on with the story the whole time. And I like the motor mouth because it tells you what you need to know and then moves the fuck on without like long drawn out exposition. Yeah, just everything about the movie is beautiful.
1: So it's, Basically, tenant just in black and white.
0: Yeah, basically. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's clean, all the edges perfectly beveled.
3: I actually think that I tend to agree with Jesse on this one that it's not my favorite Fincher movie. Um, I almost like—I uh, don't know—something about. I was thinking of this movie a lot alongside Chinatown um, for some reason because Chinatown like a movie that takes place, you know, in the midst of L.A all of this stuff going on but it has nothing to do with movies. It has to do with everything going on in the city of LA around it. And something about the color in that movie in Chinatown is just so pretty um that I just part of me sometimes wanted like the tan dustiness of Victorville and like the go between between like the really green and lush brick mansion of Hearst and everything like that. But, you know, I can't really complain about that because, I mean, the movie is made in black and white, so I can't knock it for its color scheme. But I do agree a lot, Jesse, with the trailing off of the mind. And I don't know why... I don't know to see if that's a detriment or not. I I don't really know. It just... I don't like when I do that myself when I'm watching movies. And it just seems sometimes this movie was, like, lulling me into these, like moments where i was like hold on what just happened i like literally wasn't listening to anyone i was like so focused on gary oldman's like little idiosyncratic acting things that he was doing that like i wasn't paying attention to the script
1: yeah i think that's i think that might have been part of it too like to tie into jeff's point it's not like it's not obtuse but there is so much going on that i feel like yeah, I don't maybe I just wasn't able to focus on everything that I wanted to focus on and that's why I felt like it would it would be much better uh, not that it wasn't good it was very good but like I might have loved it on a rewatch where I could I could like settle down and you know pay attention to all the elements as opposed to like cherry picking. I don't know. It yeah. is it is an interesting thought like like why isn't this my favorite? And it's a little hard to say because it's it's such a it's such a rich time and place and one that's so tailored to us that it should have been my favorite. <laughs> you know? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, my, my brain did trail off, and my brain does not trail off when I watch Seven or the Social Network. And I yeah, like I said, I don't know if that just has to do with being less interested when they're talking about historical context than i am about like movie stuff i don't know i am interested to watch it again though and i thought it was good
0: i mean it's not my favorite fincher movie either but it's but i also like i said before i just don't consider it a fincher movie i consider it a fincher piece i don't know if that makes any fucking sense at all but
1: oh dude it's definitely a fincher movie but that speaks to how good he is is that he can step so far outside of like what we consider him and yeah. like we have no idea what he's capable of c- compared to him you know he knows he's in full command and you can see that just on display here every scene is is like there's no there's no technical faults the music is great the editing the shots everything's gorgeous is he's he's still in full command in a completely different type of movie, you know. It's almost like um, it's like how Denis Villeneuve does go completely different movie every time he does one, and it's always like perfect. And you're like, how <laughs> how are you this good? We'll have to get to him eventually. We'll probably do yeah, Dune when it comes cool. out. I would think. Yeah, that's
0: probably when we'll oh, do God. it because then we can kind of like do the same thing when we go over his movies and then yeah, do, it and then do Dune at the end.
1: I'm into that.
0: I'm gonna freak out over that one. I mean if it's good if it's good. Like, yeah. I'll I also
1: mean... <laughs> also probably make us watch enemy at some point. Okay. I love enemy.
0: Well, mm. well so well, my jelly beans. where are we at
1: on Mank? Do we have any more do you guys have any more points you want to make on Mank? I'm
0: pretty wrapped up on Mank, my friend.
3: Yeah, I would say that, you know, the only thing I would say is going to the auteur theory of David Fincher. It almost seems like with this film, he's playing around with that as well. You know, like he's kind of like, there's a whole push right now to look at auteur theory as a more encapsulating and composite group of people rather than just the director. And I think it's funny that he's making this movie right now that is about, you know, like trying to say like, I'm going to show you the screenwriter behind like this great movie. And you guys always think of Citizen Kane and Orson Welles. Um, but it's cool to see this little sliver of, like, no, this is the true, like, impetus. This is, like, the, the driving force behind this movie. Um, because I had never even heard of this person, I'll have no. to admit, before I this I don't know movie if I've seen
1: out. any other movies that he's rewrote.
3: And Orson Welles is just, like, a titan, both in, you know, later on in his career, career in actual physical size, and just, like, <laughs> just being the person that he is. You know, the third man... Uh, the Stranger, things like that. It's like, he's just like, it almost seems like he spawned Hollywood after he did Citizen Kane. Everything you know or we know is modern 21st century Hollywood. It was started by this little rotund theater guy. And yeah. I don't know. It's just interesting to see all of the little people and the little things that influence the stuff behind that, you know? I don't know. It's a very interesting I like I like it though. I think it's like I think it's a good movie. Just when we were talking about David Fincher, I don't know. I just I don't know. This one's hard for me because I don't know if it's just me as a viewer. You know, maybe I just wasn't paying attention enough, or like I was being too lazy with it. But usually his movies are just like start to finish. I'm just like glued to my seat, ready to go, and I'm just enjoying all of it. So maybe this was him teaching me not to be so you know expectant.
2: It hmm. would
1: be interesting to see what he does next, what kind of project he chooses.
3: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm saying he he made this movie with me, Alex Abar, specifically in mind.
0: Oh, yeah? This is a love letter <laughs> to <Yeah>. Alex Abar. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes. <So>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, speaking of love letters, I thought this would be fun, so I cobbled together a list from my brain of movies that are about making movies. Or are somehow about like the film world, because I'm always I'm always interested in those. So, and I, I signposted this to you guys, if you wanted to to jump in as well, um, if you had any. But I've got like I've got like ten here, Jesus. something like that. Oh, okay. That's... I won't I won't go too deep into them. Don't worry, <laughs> we won't do an hour on each. <laughs> but I, I arranged them mostly chronologically. So, Alex, I know you've seen this one. Sunset Boulevard, yeah, 1950, by one of the all-time great directors, Billy Wilder. Um, Tells the story of a screenwriter living with this washed-up Hollywood actress from the silent era that never made it to talkies. That's who you were talking about earlier. What's her name? Gloria, Gloria Swanson? Is Norma Desmond. Norma Desmond. Oh, the real-life lady was Gloria Swanson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's it has a really cool art imitates life quality because the lead actress Gloria Swanson inhabited exactly this reputation in real life. She was a famous actress in silent movies. Um, yeah, you also get like Cecil, Cecil B. DeMille in there as himself, which is fun. Yeah. <laughs> Although that that cheap fuck apparently charged Billy Wilder like twenty grand to put God. him in there. <laughs> it's like, it's dude, like do you not have money? You Cecil B. DeMille seriously like you 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 made like uh the what was it called the greatest show on earth yeah you made the greatest show on earth like that year or whatever (laughs) i don't know anyway
3: yeah that movie is uh i was gonna say that movie is like another like mank it kind of takes you into this like deep dive of like the darkness or seedy underbelly of hollywood but not necessarily hollywood but what like Hollywood can do to people it will chew you up and spit you out into this mansion full of your old stuff that you just hang out in you know and then one day some young strapping screenwriter is gonna waltz in and you can I don't know I love that movie
1: William Holden will walk in and you can try to seduce him in a really weird way yeah I can't wait until that's what my life becomes (laughs) they should do a movie like that but but have like Montgomery Clift You know, like I want to see a movie about Montgomery Clift's decline. Monty, man. Well, Monty.
3: I feel bad for him. He was definitely like a a force of nature. He was, but like
1: Like... the car accident and like him struggling with being gay in like the 40s and 50s. And like, yeah, they called it just the slowest suicide in Hollywood history.
3: He won an Oscar, supporting Oscar for um, his role in the Trials at Nuremberg movie with Spencer mm. Tracy and like a very young William Shatner. Oh, wow. Who plays like the lapdog of the court. Nice. It's hilarious. They like send him out for coffee and water and stuff while they're trying all these Nazis. But um, he, Mon- Monty Cliff is only in it as a witness that gives like his deposition during the court room hearing. He's never in it again. And he wins, it's like 15 minutes on screen or wow. even like 15 minutes, like five. And he won the, he won the Oscar for it, I believe. So yeah. Great actor. Yeah. I mean, Do you speaking, have another movie? speaking
1: of somebody who like, sorry, what was that?
3: I was asking if you had uh, the other movie for movies about movies. But oh, I have many other
1: movies. Tangent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the, t- on that topic, like somebody who was spiraling out of control 1954, A Star Is Born. We were talking about this earlier. With um, I keep forgetting her name. Alex, your cue. Judy Garland. Judy Garland, <laughs> and it's like Judy Garland hadn't starred in a movie in like ten years, and she she's uh she like talk about a force of nature. This is a tremendous performance. She's amazing. James Mason is amazing. It's about uh, basically one person, Judy Garland, rising to stardom. While her husband like is falling, and just traces that, and it's a musical and a drama and a blah blah blah. It's three hours long. It's a big old Hollywood parable, epic, fable, words. It's it has, yeah. it's 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 it has adjectives attached to it, and it's really good.
3: It could almost be like a prequel if you put it a little early in time to Sunset Boulevard. You know, some small time girl goes out into Hollywood, and then you see Sunset Boulevard, and you're like, "Oh, this is how you ended up." Great, oh, totally.
1: Or you end—I <laughs> mean, you see how it ends up in the James Mason character as well. Like he's just—he's yeah. just a drunk, and he's a—he's a happy drunk at first, and it becomes less and less happy. Yeah. <laughs> um. Let's see. I got singing on the rain on here. We don't need to talk about it it's a great it's a total classic stands up one that i don't know if you guys have seen um the bad and the beautiful from 52 with the great kirk douglas
3: i have not seen that no
1: he's like a he's a film director and kind of an asshole and it uh, it tells like three different stories like from different people's perspectives about working with him Mm -hmm. and it's very very good uh moving on. I've got Chaplin here from nineteen ninety two starring oh, a young Jr. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. It's yeah. a biopic about Charlie Chaplin, but it's not very good in my opinion. Did you see it, Alex?
3: Yeah, I saw this movie a long time ago and I always forgot that it was like that he was in it. Robert Downey Jr. was in it, but it definitely suffers from that like kinda of like early nineties biopic feel, I guess. It's like a carnival ride almost.
1: Yeah, it feels slow and kind of stodgy and it doesn't go as deep into his psychology as it could have. Um, It's fine. It's totally watchable, but it's yeah. nothing special. And this next one I put on is kind of a meme. I put <laughs> I put Boogie Nights on here <laughs> because, A, it's oh, from Paul yeah. Thomas Anderson. He's one of our f- favorite filmmakers. We'll be talking about Master next week and probably just do a a thing like we did with Fincher. Um, Like I said, I don't know if this one counts really since porno isn't cinema. Uh, (laughs) I mean, maybe Lars von Trier would have something to say about that. He did make Nymphomaniac. (laughs) But that's a whole other can of worms. (laughs) But you know, I saw the opportunity to promote Boogie Nights, so I took it. (laughs) 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 Sue me, it's a great movie. We'll talk about it again next week. A little bit. Um, year two thousand, Shadow of the Vampire, about the filming of the nineteen twenty-two classic Nosferatu with Max Schreck, who in this one is played by John Malkovich, who everybody everybody loves John Malkovich, right?
3: Yeah, I mean I do personally. I think he's great.
1: Like, how could you not? Um. So have either either either, either of you guys seen this one? Nope. I have oh, not. Shadow of the Vampire. That's one to check out as well. It's super good. Um, 2004, The Aviator by Martin Scorsese. Yeah, of Leo course. Leo is Howard Hughes. Yeah, <laughs> It's not like the filmmaking element is not the total focus of the film, but it does play a, a pretty large part. And it's yeah. just a great movie.
3: It's definitely steeped in that world. Of, of like Hollywood and everything, even if it isn't about it. You know, you get Kate Blanchett doing her Catherine Hepburn yes, and everything.
1: The wonderful is, Kate Blanchett just killing yeah. it as always. Yeah. I got Hugo from two thousand eleven. Yes. Also by Scorsese, to borrow once again Jeff's favorite phrase It's a total love letter Ooh, to cinema. Fuck you. <laughs> Specifically the work of George Melies, who was he was one of the first people to truly Like, be inventive in the realm of filmmaking. He used radical techniques like cuts in a scene (laughs) to play with space and temporality. Mm -hmm. And he invented the use of like black backdrops in a part of a scene so that he could have multiple images on screen at once. We're talking like 1911 or something, like really, really early. And it wasn't like cutting footage and splicing it together later, it was more like people didn't have a concept of what movies were or could be. So they would just like shoot something and that was it. But he was like, Oh, if I turn off the camera and then turn it on with people in different positions, it gives this illusory, like magical nature to it. You know, you're like, boom, cinema is born very, very early on taking its first little steppy steps. Let's see. I have a note here. Does the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou count?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, man,
3: I cannot believe we have not talked about Wes Anderson yet on the podcast. Not not in a full on episode, but when we were thinking about directors the other day, like I don't want to say Wes Anderson's at the top of the game, but he definitely has he's at his the top own of game. His game, <laughs> yeah. exactly right. Like he has his own little rule book that he's playing by. But we'll get to him probably eventually but yeah i would say zisu it's like documentarian film you know yeah. it's like if werner herzog's best friend had gotten mauled by some random animal out somewhere he's like oh well i'm not gonna make a movie about me right my revenge
1: <laughs> yeah i mostly was just like that's a wonderful movie you have bill oh, murray man. not giving a fuck which is always amazing <laughs> His cast, um,
3: I don't know how Wes Anderson has the pull that he does, but he can literally just pick up the phone and just be like, "Yeah, you want to come and be in my movie? Okay, cool, bye."
1: Dude, I I can't remember what his next movie is, but I was looking at the cast and it has like everybody in it. <laughs> yeah, it's just like everybody. <laughs> so maybe we'll get to him when we, when his new one comes out. We'll do a little yeah. Wes Anderson one. That'd be fun. Um, I got one more, and it's my favorite, best for last. Motherfucking Ed Wood from nineteen ninety four. Oh. oh god. It is one Shit. of the best things ever. My personal favorite Tim Burton film, starring Johnny Depp as everyone's favorite hack, Edward D. Wood Jr. Broadly known as the worst filmmaker of all time. And director of all kinds of awful things, most notably Plan Nine from Outer Space. <laughs> But, uh yeah, that whole movie is absolutely wonderful. It's probably in my top 10 movies of all time. if I ever make that list, which I probably won't, because I would have to have like 40 things in it. um, yeah, I know you guys have seen Ed Wood.
0: yes, yes of course huh.
3: yeah, that and movie you hate it right intense.
0: I don't hate it i kinda I kind of like that movie.
3: I think I saw it a little too young to be honest. I was like definitely not big
0: a good on like that. but I I like it. Tim what?
1: Burton. I like He's the, kidding. I know. He's messing. Know. You <laughs> got me. You almost got me.
0: Uh, almost gotcha.
1: Tell us what you really think.
0: I love that movie. It's great. The aesthetic's beautiful. Okay. It's a beautiful Tim Burton film. good movie.
1: Martin Landau.
0: <laughs> yep, Lando Calrissian's in it.
1: Yeah, Martin so did... Martin Lando Calrissian.
0: <laughs>
1: As Bella Lugosi. What? Hello? Uh, <laughs> Hello, Is this that's on? Insane. Are we uh, am I dead? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Alex, shit. talk words. You were gonna say oh something. My
3: God. I was saying that uh I went a little out of the uh the uh how do I say this? The like parameters that you set for this movie. Um, because Birdman is one that I think is like about just like, it's not even about filmmaking. It's about the making of like drama, you know, um, following Michael Keaton around as like some washed up superhero star who decides he wants to be serious and make a play off a of Raymond Carver short story. And it's, it's very just like in the industry kind of like different actors play like different roles in it where like Naomi Watts is like an actor and Ed Norton is an actor. And it's like, they both are actors playing actors. So it's a very meta, like self-referential movie to the industry. But the two ones that I wrote down were the Truman show and this movie called the cable guy, which is like a dark comedy with Jim Carrey and uh, Jack Black and Ben Stiller. And the reason that I chose these two movies was because it's not necessarily about, the industry itself, it flips it. And it's about the people who consume movies, the the benefactors almost of this industry. Um, both have very, very big and overarching themes to say about our consumption and almost addiction to movies and to film. And how it can like, The Cable Guy is one that's about a guy who's like so And he's like in the state of arrested development because in his childhood as a babysitter, his mom would just plop him in front of the TV and then go out and do her thing. So you have this guy who's like grown up consuming movies nonstop, that the line gets blurred between how he's supposed to act in real life and how he's supposed to act in like movie life, I guess. Um, And then the Truman Show, because it's literally about the entire audience focusing in on one guy who's being like set up right and it's about our thirst for this industry to just keep giving us like these things that we can consume um and my favorite thing about the cable guy is at the end the tv signal goes out because something happens and everyone's freaking out because they don't know what to do they have like no idea what they're gonna do and they all start picking up books and things like that there's this really nice shot of Kyle Gass at the very end of the movie. just like He finds like Little Red Riding Hood on his couch, and he's like, hmm, maybe I'll just consume this instead. So I like those movies a lot because of that. It brings the audience into this argument of films about film, right?
1: Yeah. I don't, it's funny. I don't remember the cable guy. I saw it probably when I was like 10 years old. Because it had yeah. Jim Carrey in it, and it was not what I expected. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I was like this. Is not the mask talking about tacos and farting? Yeah, this is something exactly. different. Uh But no, I love I love Birdman, and I love the Truman Show. So, and uh, and uh, yeah, the the whole audience element is definitely an interesting one. I could have put uh, more movies flashing into my brain right now. What's that one with Tobey Maguire? Pleasantville. That's what oh, yeah. it was. That whole that Pleasantville one, that would have been a good one. Hell yeah. But uh I've probably said enough. People don't even remember what I already said. <laughs> All these movies. Watch Ed Wood. If you have one takeaway, my listener, watch Ed Wood. It's amazing. Uh
0: Jefferson? Oh yeah. What's up, Daddy O?
1: What's up? Are you just like
0: eating pickles? I'm not something? eating pickles. I'm listening to this brilliant conversation oh. <laughs> about film. I just haven't seen a lot of these. So I'm just kind of like, I'm absorbing your guys'
1: brilliance. All right. Well, I was asking you if you had any recommendations like apropos.
0: Oh, not for this. No. Unfortunately, okay. no. I uh, I do not. I didn't do the homework.
1: Okay. No, that's oh, that's shit. Fine. You Once could, you could recommend The Aviator. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Oh man, how did I miss that? Yeah, uh, me too. Yeah, that's know. probably like, what, there's just too many. That's
0: probably what I would have recommended. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: you're like it has Brad Pitt in it, yep. exactly. Bruce Lee's in it too. Bruce Lee's in it. Leo. Leo. Yeah. Every, everyone knows. Everyone knows what this movie is. <laughs> yeah. If you don't, that's strange that you're listening to us at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, Jeff, do you want to give us a general recommendation then? Uh, Alex and I won't do one because we've talked at length about other stuff that functions as recommendations. But
0: yeah, if you watch something sweet this week... Yeah, I've been watching a couple things. Um, First thing is a uh, show on Netflix called Unorthodox. I recommend it. It's very good. It's about a young woman fleeing from a highly orthodox Jewish life in New York City to Berlin to find her uh, birth mother. It's good. It's gripping... Um it's got a lot of cool kind of cultural aspects to it. I don't know. It's just a good well made show. And then Critical Role. If you're into D and you like watching oh. d d uh Critical Role season three just started and it's real, real good. So, so like on YouTube or yeah, what's on what YouTube. Is that? Critical role mm-hmm. is okay. Matt Mercer's uh D campaign that he records on YouTube with a bunch of voice actors. If you haven't heard of it, I highly suggest watching it. But uh started season two, season one's a bit rough of a D&D, program.
1: for those of you who aren't horrible nerds like us, it means <laughs> Dungeons & Dragons. Oh,
0: okay, yeah. If I, I didn't realize I had to preface that.
1: No, you didn't. <laughs> um, we could have left it. I chose not to.
0: Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much what I've been uh, digesting right now.
1: All right. Well, we've spoken about Mank. We've spoken on other things. We've spoken on the glory that is old hollywood and the glory that is gary oldman
0: <laughs>
1: and uh yeah that was a fun one i had fun
0: yeah yeah that was a good one i really enjoyed that and i really appreciate you recommending it otherwise it would have flown under my radar
1: yeah well it's done now and next week we're gonna be doing the 2012 movie the master by paul thomas anderson We'll probably start out doing the same thing we did this time. Do a little Anderson discussion. Uh Because he's going to be even easier. Because he's got like seven movies. Yeah. Hmm. He makes a movie like every five years. Sometimes like, yeah. But anyway, that's Alex's uh, attempt to redeem himself after After
3: funny games. games. (laughs) uh, Just going after all the bangers.
0: We can even give a little preface because we have uh, a next one after that. Oh. After that is going to be oh. the 2009 movie Moon, Moon. with Sam Rockwell, oh. Kevin Spacey, just his voice, not his face. And We um, got the M's down. It's a good one. It's going to be a good old time. I'm excited. Time.
1: I like Sam Rockwell. I like that movie a lot. <sighs> Alex hasn't seen, seen it. One. Yeah, That's, that'd be good. should
3: be good. I'm excited <sighs> to see this, this movie. Actually, it's one that I've liked. More even more than, Mank. I guess it's one that I've always had my radar on, and I've always wanted to see it. I've always seen the cover, and I just I don't know what the fuck it is.
1: You like, mean Twelve it's... Monkeys, right? More than yeah. Twelve Monkeys. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. that
0: is what I meant. <laughs> well then, good chat. Well then Well we then, done, boys. It. We've done it again. <laughs> we don't know how to end the podcast. Love letter. Yeah, we cinema. do.
1: <laughs> we keep talking, and then eventually we say, cut. Is that it? (laughs) Let's just end it there. That would be amazing. Let's just do that. (laughs) All right. This should be the end. Perfect.